All right, good morning, everyone. Start back, get our seats here, and we'll get started this morning. So I'll take a cue from what I've learned in the past. There's two ways to get everyone back in here. You either tell a story or you pray. So I'll do a little bit of both. So Nate asked me to preach a couple weeks ago, and I prayed about it, and then he said, okay, sure. I said, sure, I feel the Lord's led me to do that. And then he sent me the text, and I was very disappointed to find I only got six verses because as some of you who know me, if I have a little amount of content, I have a hard time making it fit the window time. I was recently teaching at Awana over a smaller passage. I finished my teaching, looked at the clock, and I had there 25 minutes before the kids went to the next part of the night. And so fortunately, the Lord blessed the kids that night with a lot of questions after the lesson, so it kind of saved me. But i uh, always a little nervous on preaching over shorter passages. But I read the text, and the first thing that came to mind was, oh, these first three verses we're not going to spend much time on. It's going to be the last three. And I thought, man, is there some people in my life I wish I could talk to on these last three verses. If only they could hear this. Not a good way to start preparation for a sermon of instantly thinking, well, this is what people need to hear. The Lord was very gracious, though, and kind of flipped the guns back on me and was saying, yeah, there is some people in here hear that passage of Nathaniel, and you're number one on that list. And so I've been hit with some hard truth this week, and ironically, the first three verses that I thought I was not going to spend much time on, the Lord really challenged me as well. So just goes to show sometimes we, as a, in Proverbs it says, we sometimes make our plans, but the Lord directs our steps um, so let me open us in prayer, we'll read the text, and then we'll get started here this morning. So, uh, Dear Holy Father, we just thank you for the privilege we have to come in your presence this morning. We thank you for your word that was written for us, as uh, even Adam reminded us, us in the text he read this morning, Lord, that uh, you've preserved your word, you've sent the prophets to write these books, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we thank you that we have the living, breathing Word of God that is alive and active even to this day and continues to work and changes people's lives. So I pray, Lord, that as I speak over this text this morning, that you would guard my words, that I would only speak that uh, which is from you, that I would cast all of my opinions, my preferences aside, and that uh, your Word would be spoken here today in this place, and that uh, we'd hear the truth that you've given us and most importantly apply it to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to read our text this morning. If you want to turn to your copy of God's Word, to Mark chapter 12, verse 35. Once you get there, we'll stand as we read the Word together. So coming out of Mark chapter 12, verse 35, it says, While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? And the large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for a show, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished more severely. You may be seated. So before we start, it's always good to give context to a passage of what has been going on. We've been walking through this uh, certain passage, this text, the last few weeks. We know this is the last week of Jesus' life. The crucifixion is imminent. 
And we also know that this is, takes place in the same day that we've been covering the last few weeks. So it's been a very busy day for Jesus. We started out with him and the disciples walking into Jerusalem. Remember that fig tree that was withered by the side of the road that the disciples asked Jesus about, and he had time to give them an object lesson of dealing with sometimes people can look good, but there's no fruit in their lives, talking about people who do not truly know him as Lord and Savior. From there, Jesus gave a hard truth to the parable of the tenants talking to the teachers of the law. We talked about this farmer that rented his vineyard to some tenants. At harvest time, he sent his servants to collect, and these tenants were wicked. They beat his servants. They killed his servants. And the teachers of the law, the chief priests and the elders, they realized Jesus was talking about them, speaking in the way that they had mistreated the prophets in the past, and it continued to reject God's truth that was sent. From there, Jesus was questioned by the Pharisees and the Herodians, talking about the temple tax, asking Jesus if it was lawful to pay taxes or not. And Jesus gave them a brilliant answer, as we looked at a few weeks ago. He said, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God's what is God's. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as we know, were demetrially opposed to each other. They did not like each other. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not. And so the Sadducees, seeing the Pharisees have been silenced, they get together and bring their own question to Jesus. And I have to say, I work in the filmmaking industry, and we talk about cheesy stories. The Sadducees came up with one of the most cheesiest stories possible with this whole scenario of the seven brothers, the one brother marrying, having no children. It just goes on down the line, all seven brothers. I had to think when they got together, was it like the first idea that came on the table? Let's throw this story out. It's like there's no thought in it, and it really just goes to show sometimes when people are so obsessed with not wanting to hear truth from Jesus, it's not even logical. It's not even logical, these things that are brought about. And so Jesus once again reminded them from the scriptures that they were in error because they did not understand the scriptures by reminding them that God said he was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, present tense, that he was not the God of the dead, but of the living. And from there, another Pharisee, one of the teachers of the law, came and tested Jesus, asked, what are the most commandments? Which is the most important? And Jesus said, the most important one is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And the Apostle Paul, writing the book of Romans, reaffirms that where he says that love is the fulfillment of the law. If we perfectly loved God in one another, there would be no need for the Ten Commandments. There would be no need for rules because love does no harm to a neighbor. And so Jesus from Scripture reminds them that love is the fulfillment of the law. And so that brings us now to our present text. Jesus is still teaching in the temple courts, and he asks this question. He asks, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? See, the Pharisees, they were teaching, and we also know from Matthew 22, the Pharisees are also here present once again. And Jesus is challenging a teaching of theirs. They are emphasizing that Jesus would be a descendant of David, which is true. We know from Scripture that Jesus was promised to come through the line of Judah, through the line of David, that he would be a descendant of David. But the Pharisees were missing a very key point. And Jesus reminds them of that from a prophetic psalm that David spoke where he says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now remember, the ultimate reason the Pharisees give as we continue to move forward in our text for killing Jesus 
was because he claimed to be God. They could not accept Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God. They had so focused on the manhood that they had forgotten about the Godhood of the Savior that David himself had spoken. And Jesus reminds the Pharisees once again from the Scriptures, which the Pharisees are extremely knowledgeable in, that God himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit through David, the Messiah was going to be the son of David, a descendant of David, but he was also going to be fully God. It's one of those things in the Christian faith that we have to take by faith because it doesn't make sense that Jesus was fully man and fully God. But Scripture is very clear that Jesus was indeed both of those. And it's funny, I did not talk to Adam about what passage he was going to read up here this morning, but he read from 1 Peter chapter 1. And the Pharisees should have understood from other passages of Scripture that when a prophet spoke, they were not speaking of their own opinions, they were not speaking their own thoughts, they were speaking by the Holy Spirit. We're told in 1 Peter 1 that no prophet spoke on their own, but they spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Pharisees should have realized from this prophetic psalm that yes, Jesus was going to be a descendant of David, the Messiah, but was also fully the Son of God. And at first when I read this, it's like, okay, I get that, that why this was so important, but I wasn't going to spend a lot of time in this text. But then the Lord really challenged me on something here. The Pharisees were speaking a half-truth. It was legitimately true that the Messiah was going to be a descendant of David, but they left out the other side of the coin, which is the fact that Jesus was also going to be the Son of God. And so the Lord really turned that back on me this week to ask myself, am I teaching half-truths? Am I teaching half-truths? I'm going to give us a couple examples here. If you've been in the Christian world long enough, if you know enough about different denominations, different things that are taught out there, you will find really quick that a lot of people in this world are teaching half-truths. And I'm here to tell you, half-truth is a lie. If I am telling you only half the truth, I'm deceiving you, I'm holding back something, maybe because only that part of the truth makes me look bad. If I'm telling a half-truth, it is a full lie. There's no half-truths. It's either the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, or it's a lie. There's no middle ground. You can't have half and half. You can't have half good, half bad. And so when it comes to half-truths, I'm amazed how easy it is for me to get so fixated in my own opinions, my own preferences, that I lose focus of Scripture like the Pharisees, and I start to live my own version of Scripture, which may be true, quote-unquote, but it's only half of the truth. And I'll take a couple examples. The nature of God is one that is constantly misrepresented in this world. And you'll find that a lot of churches will tend to do one thing. We'll either come over here and we'll emphasize the wrath of God. God's wrath. God's wrath. God punishes the sinners. On and on and on. It's just this, this in your face. Or we'll go over here. Oh, God is love. God is a God of love and, and everything's good. And he would never, no, hell's not real. Or we're over here just preaching nothing but fire and brimstone. And that is a misrepresentation of God. God is a God of wrath, but he's also a God of love. You cannot go over here and just proclaim the wrath of God. But at the same time, you can't discount his love, but you can't come over here and just preach the love of God and leave out the wrath. You have to have both. And this is something our culture does not like to talk about. For instance, there's a lot of people who are uncomfortable with the idea of hell today. Yet in Scripture, we're clearly told again and again that Jesus himself 
said that hell is a very real place, but it's a hard concept for us sometimes to wrap our mind around how could a loving God send people to hell? Well, we've forgotten about the wrath, too. We've forgotten about, and I love this song we just sang about how holy is the Lord, because God is holy, and we don't understand this word fully. Holy means to be whole. It's without sin. It's sinless, perfect, perfection. And that is God. He is holy. He is set apart from sinners. He is perfect. He is righteous. He cannot tolerate sin in his presence. The holiness of God demands that he must punish sin. And there has to be a hell because if God's all love, well, think about this in our own justice system. If there is this judge and someone's committed this horrible crime, they've murdered a bunch of people, and the judge's not going to go, well, I love you. I'm not going to put you in jail. I'm not going to give you the death sentence. We'll let you get away with that. It's okay. That's not a loving judge. A loving judge is going to punish sin. And so you have to have that wrath and love of God. And we see that wrath and love of God met at the cross, where God sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, for your sins. The wrath of God was justly brought down on Jesus. Jesus took my place even though he was sinless He was perfect. He was completely holy and righteous. He took the wrath of God, yet in the wrath of God, because God is just and Jesus paid the price for my sins, I can receive that free gift of salvation, and God in his love can grant me forgiveness while still being 110% perfectly just, yet also loving. Yet you have to have both of those. You can't disconnect. It's a two-sided coin. You can't disentangle. Those are wrapped together, God's wrath and God's love. Another thing that we get very divisive in Christianity is the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility. Oh, if you've been in the Christian world long enough, you know those are very divisive things. And once again, we'll have people the extreme teaching the sovereignty of God. We'll be teaching a half-truth over here of just man's responsibility. You've got to have both. Scripture is very clear. God is sovereign, yet we're going to give an account. We read in 1 Peter this morning that God is going to judge the living and the dead. We will have to give an account so, so often we fall to extremes like the Pharisees and we're just teaching one side. We're teaching one side of the coin and we're giving people a misrepresentation of truth rather than returning to the scriptures and saying, yeah, they're both. And really, I have to, I have to, I have to feel for the Pharisees because I can be like them so much. I want to understand God. I want to fully understand God. And as a human being, I have a hard time acknowledging that God is way above me and I'll never fully understand him. Even in all eternity, we are never still going to be able to fully wrap our minds around God. God's eternal. Wrap your mind around that one. He's always existed, always has, always will. I can't understand that. I cannot comprehend that as a fallible, finite human being. But I take that by faith that God is eternal. How about the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three God. Three in one. There's three distinct persons, yet one God. Explain that to me. I can't. Well, that wrath and love of God's hard to accept. Yeah, it is, but it's there. Well, how do you explain God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? I can't, but Scripture says it's there. There's so many things in the Bible that requires us to take it by faith. Yes, we have a faith that is based on evidence, but it's still faith. It is still faith at the end of the day. And because I know that God is true, that He cannot lie, that He keeps His promises, that He is faithful... I can accept those things that are hard to understand and be okay with never fully understanding God and taking these things 
by faith. Instead of getting all strung up about it and going to one extreme or the other, I can come to the middle and say, this is what Scripture says. I don't fully understand that. But that's okay. Because God is God and I'm not. And so my encouragement in this part of the text is let's be careful. We are not a congregation that's going to one of the two extremes. We must teach what Scripture states. We must come to these matters that can become divisive and say, this is what the Bible teaches. I know that's not popular, but this is what God's Word says. And the second reason this is so important, not just for the integrity of the Scriptures, but people's eternal destinies depend on this. If we're emphasizing one extreme or the other, we're not sharing the gospel. With the gospel, I have to tell people, yes, God is a God of wrath. He's going to punish sin, but I also have to tell them God is a God of love, but you can't disconnect that and now do whatever you want. Yeah, you're free in Christ, but at the same time, we serve a holy God. And we have to keep that in mind as we live our lives. And the dangers of teaching half-truths, as I said, it's teaching a lie. A half-truth is a full lie. And here's why half-truths are so dangerous. This is why Jesus was so firm with the Pharisees on this point. Half-truths are dangerous because they have an appearance of truth, but they are only just close enough. Just close enough. Not quite all of it, but close enough. I'm here to tell you, close enough isn't good enough to get you into heaven. It doesn't matter if you fall one inch short of making heaven, that's too short. That's why Jesus is so firm with the Pharisees on their misinterpretation of Scripture because Jesus understands there's only one way to the Father through Jesus, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he also understands that if we start disconnecting parts of the gospel, if we add to the gospel or take from it, doesn't matter how much, how little, it's not the gospel anymore. It's become a false version. It's sobering, but the false version of the gospel, no matter how slight or how drastic, leads people to hell, not heaven. That's why it's so important that we as a church teach the gospel as it is. This isn't horseshoes or hand grenades. Close enough is not close enough. This is serious. That's why I appreciate Pastor Nate and others. We've emphasized a gospel focus at our church. And what's the gospel? It's very simple. It's very straightforward. I was four years old when I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's not something super complex. It's easy to understand. Simple. God gave us rules. Back in the Garden of Eden, He gave them one rule. Adam and Eve, they chose to disobey God. Sin entered the world. God's holy. He can't tolerate the presence of sin. He has to punish it. And there's either two ways that can be done. Through me spending eternity in hell, or by me putting my faith and trust in Jesus, Scripture says, if I declare with my mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I'll be saved. Scripture says that all those who repent of their sin, just a fancy word for turning from your sin, to God will be saved. It's the gospel. It's so simple. It's so straightforward. And when we are saved, God gives us a new heart with new desires to love and serve and follow him. That's where I mentioned that wrath and love. People often teach the wrath of God because they've heard the extreme of the love of God, that you can do whatever you want as a Christian, you're still saved. Those are two extremes. That's a disconnect from truth. Yeah, God loves me. I'm saved in Jesus, but I got a new heart. 
I don't want to sin anymore because when I sin, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. I'm grieving the very one who saved me and died and bled for me. So I have a new desire to love and serve the Lord. So there's both there. Yeah, I love the Lord, but I also realize He's holy. And there's a desire to glorify and honor His name. And so a couple questions I ask myself. Where might I only be teaching half the truth of God's word because it bends to my opinions? Or where am I believing a half-truth because I'm too prideful to admit there are elements in truth from a group of people or certain teaching because I've been hurt? That's the other reason sometimes we drift to the extremes as Christians because if you've been under the wrath, just the teaching of God's wrath, well, you can get bitter. You can get bitter when it's a bunch of rules and just everything trying to please God. But then you come away over here and now it's all about, I'm free in Christ to do whatever I want. It's hard to come to the middle sometimes because I have to admit that, yes, even though there's some false teaching in that, there is, a, there is an element of truth that, yes, God is just and I should be living in the fear of the Lord. Yet at the same time, if I've come from this side, I have to realize that, yes, there is a truth that I'm free and I'm loved in Christ, but there's this over here as well. And that's where we get real divisive in the church because we've been hurt by these extreme half-truths. And it's really hard to come to that middle and say, look, that, that, was, that was false. There were some elements of false, but there was some truth, was some truth, and we got to bring that to the middle. That's where it can become really hard to come to where truth is. I find it interesting here in this last verse, we're told the large crowds listened to him with delight. And we know from Scripture, probably many from this crowd, if not all, would be cheering for his death in a matter of days. Pretty sobering to realize that. As we come into the second part of our text, Jesus continuing his teaching gives a warning against the teachers of the law. And I'm telling you, these are some sobering words. I'm going to read this again. So Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. And have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Now Jesus isn't condemning flowing robes here. Modern translation of suit, I suppose. Or being respected by people. He's not condemning these things. It's the heart that he's dealing with here. He is calling out, fearing man rather than God, living for the praise of men rather than God. This is not something new. Jesus has called out the teachers of the law on this before. In John 5.44, Jesus states that the Jewish leaders were so obsessed about the praise of men, they had gone so far as to the point they didn't even seek the glory that came from God. We're not just talking living for both. They went so far, they weren't even cared about the glory of God anymore. They were so concerned with the praise of men. And that is a very sobering assessment. Jesus stated it was all just a show. There was no real heart behind it. And in our text, we know Jesus has just stated not too long ago, what's the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And here he's once again saying, yet you're not. You're loving the praise of men. 
And this really is the danger of the fear of men rather than God. And to be honest, this fear is so foolish. I can tell in my life, I see this so often. I was at a film festival not too long ago. And I'm telling you, the film world is a very dark industry. And not to mention that even in the Christian side of things, sometimes we've become so much like the world, we're making stuff just the same as they are out in Hollywood. Now, I was at this festival and talking with people. I'm telling you, it was really hard because a lot of these people are saying things. And I'm going, that's not what the Bible says. That's not the truth. But I'm telling you, I was talking to a film critic and he said something. I was like, oh, I need to say something. But I've just given this guy my films. I really don't want to get on his bad side as a film critic stating something. And that's the fear of men. The fear of men that I so often sometimes get so consumed with what people are thinking, I totally forget about living for an audience of one, the glory of God alone. And I had to think about this this week. My fear of men from speaking the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel, uh, it's so, it's foolish. I'll quickly prove it to you. hundred years ago, most popular movie, anyone know? I don't. To be honest, I don't care. 100 years ago, he was the most richest person. Unless you're a, a facts person, you don't know. You don't care. Most popular band. Most popular female singer, male singer. What was the most popular shows? Today, you're somebody, if you own an Apple Watch and an iPhone, what was it 100 years ago? Do you know? No. You don't care. We don't care. <laughs> we don't know these things. Just 100 years ago, we don't know it was the most popular. We don't know what was trending unless we took a, a study in it for history or something. We don't know who are the most popular people of that generation. I bet we won't even know what, who are the political leaders. We, we don't know all these things. You know, 100 years ago, how many of those people were striving? Striving to be well-liked, to be popular, to be famous, to make more money. And just a, a mere 100 years later, we don't know, we don't care. Yet eternity is forever. And I'm more concerned about this 100-year window than the praise of God. That's sobering. That's very sobering to see my tendency to be more consumed with the praise of men rather than the praise of God. Because we're told in Scripture, all that ultimately matters is living for God. And there's a reason we read 1 Peter chapter 4 for the call to worship text. I've listened to those first five verses over and over and over again more recently in my life because that final verse is so sobering because we're talking about all these people are kind of living however they want. And that final verse says, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That is very sobering, because I know in Romans 14, 12, I'm told, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Jesus himself said, we will give an account for every idle word we've spoken. I realize that someday, I'm going to stand before Almighty God and give an account of my life. Now, I don't fear being condemned to hell, because I've been covered by the blood of Jesus. I have been saved. I have been born again. But... I'm telling you, I don't want to stand before Almighty God 
and realize I was concerned about all this, what everyone here is thinking about me, the people in the film world, my friends here, people there, than rather living for the glory of one alone. Rather than sharing the gospel, understanding that people are going to hell. It's sobering when I think about that. I think about that, I need to think about it more often. But just trying to imagine, you know, when you stand before God, the eternal eyes that see everything, there's going to be no pretense. You're not going to be able to hide anything. All False motives, pride, none of that's going to get hid. We're told in Corinthians that our lives are going to be put on this altar. Whenever it's going to be tested by fire. Whatever was truly done for the Lord is going to last. And as a Christian, I'm confident that I'm going to be saved. That's one blessing I have. But at the same time, I don't want to see my life's work burned almost all but nothing in that altar. Because that's eternity we're talking about. What really matters. As I said, I don't care what phone you got. I don't care how much money you're making. I don't care how popular. I don't care how many people you know, the connections you have. If you don't got Jesus, you don't get anything. If we don't have the Lord, we've missed the most important thing. Anyone who knows me knows that I am a big Apple fan. I really enjoy the iPhone, and I'll play their upgrade game. So I always like to buy a couple models back. It allows me to be rocking some of the latest and not too greatest, but at a slightly cheaper price. But I'm telling you, you know what? It's just stuff. I mean, two years ago, this was the phone to have. And 10 years from now, no one will want it. Yet we so make all this stuff. We live for stuff like this and become more concerned about our social media profiles, our phones, our cars, our houses, our appearance, rather than thinking about the eternal. The eternal that is coming, that's right around the corner. We don't know when that's going to come. We don't know when that final I could die today. I could die tomorrow. I don't know what my last moment's going to be. I want to live in the light of eternity. Yet this world pulls so hard, and I so quickly find myself teaching half-truths, leaving out half because that would offend this person, or desiring the praise of people. And a lot of times, I'm just, I'm just silent. I don't say anything because I don't want to offend people because I fear man rather than God. In the sobering final sentence of this passage, in this translation, it says these men will be punished most severely. In other translations, it say these men will be punished more severely. Now, once again, the Pharisees weren't saved, so I don't have that fear as a Christian. Yet at the same time, it's sobering to realize that religion leads to hell, not heaven. It doesn't matter on sincerity. We hear that a lot in today's culture well, what about these people are really sincere in their religious beliefs? What about the Muslims, the Buddhists? They're really sincere. Well, sincerity doesn't equal truth. I can sincerely believe I'm going to jump off the Empire State Building and flap my arms hard enough and I'll fly. It's not going to change gravity. And that's the same thing with spiritual truths. You can believe as sincerely as you want in the wrong thing. It's not going to do you any good. It's not going to do you any good. Truth is truth no matter how sincerely I believe a lie. And once again, I reiterate, that's why clear understanding and proclamation of the gospel is so important. And this is another stumbling block for many people because, well, Nathaniel, what about these people who have never heard of Jesus? Well, there's a couple things. We're told in Romans that it is clear just from creation alone there's a God. We're also told in Romans God's law is written on our hearts. 
No one has to tell us it's wrong to lie, it's wrong to murder. We know that. God's written that in our hearts. And we're also told in Scripture that those who earnestly seek God will find him. I think of the book of Acts of the centurion Cornelius. God sent someone to make sure he heard about Jesus because Cornelius was earnestly seeking God. Those who earnestly seek God will find him. It doesn't matter where you live in the world. God has given us enough light to realize that there is a God and we need a Savior. And he can reveal that to people. But it's also sobering too because whose responsibility is it to take the gospel? It's mine. If we are Christians, it's our responsibility. Jesus left us with the great commission to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promised he would be with us always, even to the end of the age. So these people haven't heard about the gospel. It's my responsibility to tell them. And me being silent, me not wanting to speak full truth, but just half truth because I'm afraid about offending people, that's on my clock. That's on my watch. My prayer for us as a congregation is that we would be eternally focused. It's really where this passage goes. Jesus calls out the Pharisees on half-truths because they're more concerned of the praise of men. You know, my prayers for us is that we will not be concerned about the praise of men. Scripture tells us that if we follow Jesus, we're going to be persecuted. We're going to face sufferings. We're going to face trials. But this world isn't it. We have eternity to look forward to, the praise of God. Seeing Jesus face to face, living in a place where there's no more suffering, no more pain, no more death, no more crying. That's what we have to look forward to. This is just such a short window of time that we have to proclaim the gospel and to point other people to the Lord. I do want to comment on the mention here in the passage that for a show, the Pharisees made lengthy prayers. Once again, Jesus is not condemning lengthy prayers. He's not condemning someone praying for 5, 10, 15 minutes. It's the heart behind it. It's done as a show, done to impress men. And that was another thing that really challenged me this week. As we say prayer is so important, I say it's so important, yet so often I'm either making a show or it's not important. And when it comes to prayer, we pray because it helps me align my will with God, and we believe that our prayers make a difference. I can't tell you whether our prayers change God's mind or not. I, I don't know, but I believe somehow our prayers do affect the things in this world. And it's important that we are praying, and for my sake, too, to remind myself of God's will and what He wants to do in my life. And in prayer, it's, it's so powerful. I just was so blessed this morning. We, we have this prayer meeting here at church. I highly encourage you guys to come at 9.15, and we just pray together for 20 minutes, and it's so encouraging. And the reason we do corporate prayer is to bless one another. It's so encouraging to come here on a Sunday morning and hear other people pray and be reminded, I'm not in this alone. There's fellow believers, and it's, so, it's just so amazing to just imagine just approaching the throne room of God together and coming to His presence. I heard someone mention yesterday that for all we know, there could be thousands of people praying all over the world, maybe millions. We don't know. And God hears each and every one of those prayers as if he's just listening to one person. It's, just, it's such an encouragement to remind ourselves of how big God is because that's where I start to fear men. I lose sight on how big and how great and how glorious and how all-powerful my God is. 
when you have in mind the greatness of God, when we're singing about His holiness, how worthy He is of all honor and praise, you can't help but desire to worship Him, to serve Him, to love Him, to glorify Him. And who cares what other people think? He's worth our all. So some closing questions to ask ourselves. Do you fear God or man? Who do you genuinely fear? Do you fear God or man? How will you ask God for strength to fear Him and live for His glory alone rather than falling prey to the fear of men and living for their approval? And as once again, as we're reminded of the Pharisees' closed-mindedness to the truth, I have to ask you, are you saved? I don't want to make an assumption ever in any place I'm teaching or preaching that everyone in the room is saved. Because the Pharisees seemed to think they were in, and they weren't. So I have to ask today, do you truly know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Not as an acquaintance, not do you know about Jesus. Oh yeah, I know Jesus. We're told the demons even acknowledge that God is God. Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus? Have you repented of your sin and turned to the Lord? Have you received Jesus as not only Savior, but Lord? As Lord of your life. As I said once again, it's so simple. John 3.16 is quoted a lot. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The Apostle Paul and Silas in explaining the gospel to a jailer said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. The gospel's not difficult. And I'm not going to tell you following Jesus makes your life better. But everything's going to be okay. It's all going to be good. I'm here to tell you that following Jesus brings trials. It brings sufferings. People will hate you. People will dislike you. You will lose friends. You will potentially lose family members. Because Jesus very clearly stated that he did not come to this earth to bring peace but a sword. To turn even families against each other. Because truth's a great thing, but it divides. Truth divides. It separates the light from the dark. The righteous from the unrighteous. But I can tell you that following Jesus, you get his peace. It's not a peace as the world gives, Jesus said. It's a peace in the midst of the storms. Jesus is very clear that we'll have his presence, that he'll be with us in the suffering. Jesus himself is familiar with suffering. He will comfort us. He will encourage us. And we have a joy that no one else in this world has. We have a joy knowing that our sins are forgiven and that we have eternity in heaven with Jesus to spend. No matter how difficult this life may be, we have the hope of heaven as believers. No one else has that in this world. So may we be a truth, may we be a congregation that tells the full truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, not drifting to the extremes, acknowledging where there is truth, where there is falsehood, preaching the pure, undiluted gospel of Jesus Christ and living for the praise of one, God Almighty. Let's close in prayer. So dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that you give to the Pharisees in today's passage. It's a challenge to me as well to ask myself, where am I speaking only part of the truth? 
Where am I holding back the full truth of the gospel to people because I'm afraid it's going to offend them? Because I fear man rather than you. So I just pray for myself, Lord. It's so easy to get so fixated on the temporal, so focused on what I want, my plans, my wants, my desires, that I forget, Lord, I'm not here for myself. I'm here for your glory and praise. And so I pray for us as a church body, Lord, that we would live for your glory. Remember that we are fighting for eternal souls, souls that are in need of you and the gospel. And I pray that we'd be bold and that we'd find your strength to be sufficient in our weakness. We thank you that you love us and that even though you're just, you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that whoever believes in him will be saved. We thank you for this. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.